Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Tommy is about to books. One, two, one, two, three, four. Welcome to Sawbones. It's a marital tour of misguided medicine. Uh, oh, I'm your host, Justin McElroy. One of them, co-host, and yeah, whatever. Uh, I'm Sydney McElroy, and uh, Justin, are you okay? Yeah. You sound uh, really tired. No, sweetheart, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm a little tired. I mean, like you're yawning a lot, like right well, into the microphone. We've been, um, we've it's almost been, comical. We've been doing almost comical. <laughs> Sawbones, almost comical. <laughs> That's uh, our new tag. We've been doing uh, our our musical that we're directing. It's opening uh, tonight uh, in Huntington. It's Birds Playing Superman. You know, we've been working very hard on it, and uh, many tickets still available. Lots of great seats. So come on out to the new Huntington Shameless High School, plug. Huntington, West Virginia, at First Stage Theater, home of us, home of us. That's Mike, their tagline. You know, Michael Service. He's he's from Huntington. Love him as the Observer and Fringe. Boom. Huntington. So you were saying how tired you were. Brad Dorff. Okay, no, go back voice to... Voice of Chucky. Okay. You're, Huntington. You're supposed to talk about how tired you are Billy now. Billy Crystal went to school in Huntington for like a year. Jennifer Garner. Well, that was Charleston. That's Charleston, but But anyway. close. So, okay. 45 minutes right. down the road. Okay, so I'm tired. Oh, I'm tired. See, I don't know. Just run down. You got anything in the old doctor bag for the for the J-Man? Well, it's funny you should mention that because... Um, almost funny. Almost funny. Uh, because I've been uh, using something myself that, uh, you know, it's uh, I would call it off-label use. Uh, okay, I'm into it, um, off-label. But uh, maybe you'd like to try some Kickapoo Indian Sagwa. Mm, is that like Kickapoo Joy Juice from uh, Lil Abner? It's funny you should mention that, Justin, because that's exactly where that term comes from. Ah, right on. Um, uh, but it's, it's a real great pick-me-up, or at least that's what it says on the bottle. It's also good for... Well, pretty much anything. Headaches, leg amputations, tuberculosis. Well, if it says it on the bottle. I'm sure it's broken true. Broken arms. Uh-oh. Sleep. Uh-oh. That's a lot of things that it's good Female for. Female complaints. Female complaints. Um, Sydney, that does not sound real to me. I'm not a medical physician, but that, that sounds made up. Well, it is, Justin. It's, it falls into the category of what we commonly refer to as patent medicines. Patent medicines. Now, these are medicines that have been taken before the patent office in uh, uh, a country and then uh, given approval, I guess, for for their use by a government body. Nope, not at all. Not even close. Not in the slightest. Gave it my best. It's a total misnomer. Okay. Patent medicines are not really patented. They're just trademarked. So this is the name we came up for for this thing. You can't you can't call your thing this because it's our thing. So okay. that's it. The patents weren't actually a thing 
at least in the U.S., until 1925. And patent medicines in the U.S. were around way before 1925. The phrase actually um, comes from uh, the late 17th century when they were marketing medical elixirs. So basically, if you came up with some kind of medicine uh, that was helpful for something and you wanted to sell it to everybody, uh, you would go take it to, you know, your local royal. Whoever so whatever king or prince is running around. Right, exactly. Duke, you, duchess. Whoever, viceroy. Is that a, that's a royal, right? Sure. Is not? that a butterfly? Both. It's both. Learning things every day. So you would take it to your local viceroy and, uh, you know, give it to him and be like, this is great for that knee pain or whatever that you're having. Put this on your hemorrhoid. And then they would use it. And if they liked it and they thought it really did work, sometimes they would issue you a letter patent, which basically said you can use my name in all of your advertising. You can go around and say, the king of Sweden loves, you know, Joe's foot powder. Joe's foot powder. Get it today. Great for foot problems and hemorrhoids, apparently. And women problems. And women problems. Um, it actually originally was called Nostrum Remedium, from the Latin for our remedy. So Not it was catchy kind enough. Of, no, no, patent medicines was much better. So, you know, actually patenting the medicines would have meant that they had to disclose the ingredients and obviously as you're going to find out nobody wanted to tell anybody what was in this stuff it's not good no it wasn't good um but the the idea was that if you could you know get the endorsement of of some kind of royal person somebody famous and then tell everybody that they liked it then you could convince everybody to use whatever your medicine was so, Sid, if, if this was made up and they didn't have a lot of evidence to fall back on, how are they how are they getting these into the hands of, of the people? Well, it's it's really interesting because the history of patent medicines is you kind of dig into it. You're really kind of studying the history of advertising, especially hmm. in the U.S. I think this is something you would be interested in, Justin. I love advertising. I'm very susceptible to it. it. Absolutely. If you ever want to sell anything, even if you just want to prove that you can sell it to one person, try out Justin. And if you can if you can attach adjectives to that product oh, like man. cheesy, flaky, crunchy, perhaps new or I'm ba- um, I'm basically like improved. the I'm basically like the farmers in Charlotte's web. Just just any word up there and I'm going to take your word for it. <laughs> Some pumpkin. Some pumpkin Justin's spice gonna latte. Justin's going to buy that pumpkin. Yep. Or that pumpkin spice latte. Whatever. Yeah, whatever, it doesn't got. matter. Um the but when it came to patent medicines, it really initially did kind of mirror the um, advent of like empiric um, science and like the scientific method seeking to find if there were, you know, ways to prove that something worked. So, you know, you would try something out like I have this compound, I think it works for headaches. And so you'd give it to a lot of people and you'd realize that it did work for headaches. And so there was some science initially, but at the time, we didn't we had so many diseases and so many problems we didn't have enough of these medicines that actually worked for all of those different problems right okay so you know this thing works for headaches okay now you have you know cholera well what else are you going to try you might as well try that thing that worked for headaches why not what else do you have we know it does something in there right we know it does something so let's keep trying it and compared to the other like medical doctrines of the time it kind of made sense i mean because we're talking about either like you know occultism or what they used to call the doctrine of signatures i think this is pretty funny hit me so this was the concept of of uh, medical practice that 
nature would provide you with clues as to what could help you with different ailments. Mm -hmm. So for instance, this is the, uh, the example I found. Let's say you have a skull fracture. I do. You do? I meant to tell you earlier, actually, before we started. Um, uh, 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 well, it looks like I'm going to have to go this one alone. Hey, I'm back. Okay. Oh. Woo. All right. Medical miracle. Yeah. You know what you must have done? <laughs> what must I have done? You must have eaten some of this powdered walnut shell. That's exactly it. I had some powdered walnut shell lying around. Uh, I thought it was blow. <laughs> I thought it was cocaine, which I usually use to pick me back up after I... Uh, uh, down a downturn. As a disclaimer, Justin doesn't really use cocaine. And uh, I just inhaled it. Is that what I did? Did I inhale it? The powdered walnut think... shell, or did I mix it in the tonic? Uh, you or... probably mixed it in something. Some sort of tincture. Yeah, maybe a tincture. Maybe a compound to put on your head. Maybe, maybe a salve. Yeah, a poultice. A poultice, perhaps. <laughs> anyway, so you can see where they would get the idea. Like a walnut shell, I guess, kind of looks like a skull. So if you're Skull is broken. Take some walnut shell. I think that's a fantastic uh, theory. I, I I would love to apply that to. If your eyes are broken, eat some grapes. It's just like a whole Halloween theme there. Right. If your eyes are broken. If your eyes are broken, eat some grapes. They look like eyes. My teeth hurt. Here's some corn. Um. <laughs> yeah, I guess teeth kind of look like corn. Sure. I why think not? more or less they look like corn. My intestines are broken. Eat some biscotti. <laughs> Do you think int- intestines look like spaghetti? They're the closest I got. Okay, maybe if it's not, maybe not spaghetti. Maybe like egg noodles, or two. What are those? Two penne. They look like, like long penne pasta. Penne found naturally in our environment. Okay, all right. <laughs> Go pick some penne. All right, smart guy. All right, <laughs> all right, smart Alec. Um, so. Like I was saying, compared to this theory of medicine, it kind of made sense that, well, we actually have this thing we know works for something. Let's just try it for everything. And this was the idea behind a lot of patent medicines was, hey, I've got something that does work for this one thing, and I am going to now market the heck out of it until everybody will buy it. So how how did they market it? How did they get the word out? So... One interesting way is, you know, almanacs, Justin. <laughs> I, I do. I have them littered about. We, I, hoard, ha- I hoard them. Our house is just full of almanacs everywhere. Almanacs. Um, so one way that they would market their product is actually, that's where almanacs came from. They would create these almanacs because people, people love facts like that. They just love reading, mm-hmm. you know, books of interesting facts. And <laughs> Nerds do. <laughs> I do. Okay. Point taken. And they would use them as vehicles to just provide lots of advertisement for their product. So, like, every other page was an advertisement for, you know, whatever their stuff was. Dr. Jimmy's Good Time Juice? Dr. Jimmy's Good Time Juice. Next to, like, the forecast for, you know, November of whatever, 1882 or whatever. So that was where a lot of these almanacs first came from. The the other way that they would like to uh, market them are medicine shows. Oh, okay. So medicine shows, I'm assuming you want me to tell you more. Go on. Look Med- at how interested my face looks. You can't see this at home, but trust me. Find a Google image search for a really interested person. And, and then just imagine me doing that. That would definitely be Justin. Hmm. So medicine shows were like, they were kind of like traveling circuses. Um, except that the whole idea was just to promote uh, either one or maybe a couple different guys would get together and promote several different patent medicines. 
um, you would have all kinds of like different acts and performances that would that would draw a crowd. So just like a circus, you know, like come down and see these people, you know, see the bearded lady or whatever. But then at the end, the big the big moment at the end was really just this huge sales pitch for whatever your thing was. Mm-hmm. And that was actually they that was the whole idea of like a shill in the audience. Oh, they'd have one person who kind of, oh, my arm's better. Thanks, thanks, Doc. Exactly. And then would come out and like testify to how great it was. So they were paid ahead of time and then they would stand up and say, hey, I used what Dr. Jimmy's feel good powder or whatever it was. Dr. Get, Dr. Jimmy's good time juice. Yeah, that. And uh, I'm, uh, look how strong I am now. And they actually, strong men were one of the biggest, that was one of the biggest acts that they would use because then they could market their product and say, hey, remember those big muscly guys you saw earlier today? Guess what they eat. Now, just so you know, this is still happening to you today, but it's happening with products like HydroxyCut or Extends. Like this, this exact pattern and this exact scam is being run on you with a, a person sucking their stomach in and putting on some fake tan and saying that, that uh, this, this fitness product works for them. That's exactly right. I think you should, you filled me in once, Justin, on one of the tricks that they use for the before and after pictures. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's lots. I mean, there's obviously Photoshop, but um, uh, a lot of times they get, uh, super fit people who have been in some sort of accident or let themselves go. That or can, just like, had a baby or, or something where they, they had to put on some weight. And then they, they can snap back because underneath their, the blubber is a fit person that they can pretty easily shed because it's all muscle underneath there. I think that's a great trick. I never would have thought of that. Yeah, it's pretty clever. So when they were you know marketing these different patent medicines, they had to have a gimmick. That was the big thing. So you've got this thing and you can name it something, whatever, and you can have, you know, testimonies and you can use your royal endorsement, but you've got to have some kind of gimmick as to why this is such a great thing. Um, And there were kind of different categories this fell into. One of the biggest was uh, exotic ingredients. Uh, Give me an example of an exotic ingredient. So uh, you could probably find a lot of this again today. Uh, use in marketing but uh, Dr. Kilmer's Swamp Root now listen I love his work in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang he was fantastic in Tombstone I'm not sure if Val (laughs) Kilmer gave me Swamp Root I would ingest it and I didn't even know he was a medical doctor (laughs) and you know what's what's great about that is that it may as well have been Val Kilmer because there probably was never a Dr. Kilmer rarely in any of these products that were marketed as Dr. Whoever stuff was there a doctor a lot of the time, it was a bunch of a guys in a warehouse printing out advertising circulars who made up a name. Um, and the swamp root sounded very exotic. So sure. the, the story behind it was that Dr. Kilmer would go around and collect these, you know, very uh, rare roots that were found deep within exotic swamps all over the world and then turn them into this tonic and you could take it and it would help your kidney health. But it wouldn't. Well, no, probably not. Probably there wasn't any even swamp root, right? That was probably made up as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of the time, the whatever they're saying is in there isn't in there. Yeah. That no, that's important to know. There is there are ingredients in these, but very rarely the ingredients that they're claiming because again, they don't have to disclose the ingredients at this point. It's all just dust and water and fruit juice. Sure. Why not? Um, and actually, I'll get to that. The, the, there's a lot of things. Some of the stuff which we've covered before, which were actually in these. Um, there was also the baobab fruit, which was a common thing to market because it sounds exotic. It sounds like something you can't get. I think it actually you can actually get it in Maine. Oh, I don't okay. know how exotic that is. 
but uh, but made. it sounded weird, and so that was very popular. If you didn't have an exotic ingredient, maybe you wanted to go the Native American route. I do. At the time, I'm ready. <laughs> Take me down right. this path. At the time, lead the way, Sacagawea. <laughs> hey, hey, relevant, topical, Thank you. topical. I like it. Uh, at the time, it, the Native Americans were still seen as, well, as exotic as well, but it was really the concept of the, the noble savage was very um, common at the time. And so they thought that- they, Like Iron Eyes Cahooty, the, the guy who cried when you threw trash, is that an example of a noble savage? That A much later example, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, the idea that the Native Americans were in touch with the world in a way that we weren't. So that they weren't civilized as the, in the same manner as the Europeans, but that they understood nature and the way the earth worked in a way that, you know, the Europeans didn't mm-hmm. was the kind of concept. So marketing something as being um, related to Native Americans was very popular. And that's actually where Kickapoo Indian Sagwa comes from. And we still do this today. I mean, it's so interesting to see these like these sort of cultural loops repeat because like we still do this today like how often do you see like in a, in a commercial or whatever someone in like a small rural community or like a you know these tibetan monks have been using this secret for for so long like these are the same it's the same scam exactly look at where this natural spring water comes from right exactly uh so the kickapoo indian medicine company was specifically to market you know this product and then they had others but the idea was that uh there there really was a kickapoo indian tribe by the way Mm. They had no relation to this company. Right. It was out in uh, Nebraska or something, I think. But they had they had nothing to do with the people who marketed this. And it was, in fact, the basis for Kickapoo Joy Juice from Lil Abner's comic strip. Um, there were also Dr. Morse's Indian root pills. They had a whole story for this one. Tell me. Um, take me on a journey. So Dr. Morse was a uh, trained medical doctor in the United States who then left for more exotic climbs, uh, traveled all throughout Asia, Africa, Europe, all over the world, looking for cures, looking for medicine, finally ended up back in his home country, lived with the American Indians for three years, learned their ways, got in touch with nature as they were, and discovered their secret roots. (laughs) Not like where they came from. Their secret plant roots. Like actual roots, like in the ground. And then he took these roots and he ground them up and he made them into pills and and they were great for again for everything. 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 Uh, there was no Doctor Morse. Okay. There's no. I mean, there's no evidence that anybody like that ever existed. I saw that coming. I gotta admit. Yeah, it's a theme. Uh, there were also, um, you know, one whole class of patent medicines we already did a whole show about, and that was the um, like radium. Mm-hmm. The whole idea of you know radiation therapy and and all those cures. But there was also electromagnetism. So we discovered the idea of electromagnetism, and then, of course, we thought, well, I mean, we know what this is now. Let's make medicine out of it. So there were all kinds of devices that were created that you could, like, put on, like hats you could wear and suits that would attract electricity to your body. Perfect. Or perhaps you just want to coat yourself in a cream that will make you more conductive to electricity. Yeah, absolutely. I've been looking for ways to be more conductive. You could, uh, it could be, like... Uh, generalized electromagnetism, so like the violet violet ray machines, which would attract it to the whole body and were good for nothing. general health. Well, yeah, good for nothing, <laughs> but the idea is they were good for general health. There were also electric fezes. Do you want to wear an electric fez? Uh, electric fez is the name of my uh, 
my college jam band. Uh, we were terrible and uh, roundly disliked in the musical community. Did it cure your baldness? It did cure my baldness. That's the weird thing about that band. It did? Well, it did much better than the electric fezzes of olden day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, there were also uh, some doctors who claimed that they could use radio waves to diagnose patients. Again, well, that's sort of true, right? I mean, as in over long distances. You could send radio waves oh, long distances away. Oh, And they no, would penetrate a person's evil. body, and then you would get waves back that would tell you what was wrong with them. Absolutely we're not, not. We're not talking about radiology here. Um, and uh, I think one that's great is in 1913, there was uh, John Brinkley, who called himself the electromedic doctor. And uh, he brought this electric medicine from Germany, um, which was really just colored water. And he would inject it to, into men who were having problems in the bedroom. And it was supposed to make them more virile. Uh, he actually later went on. That had to, to have worked, though. That one had to have worked. I mean, that sounds legit. Well, maybe as a placebo. But uh, he would. He, this was this was nothing compared to later when he started transplanting goat testicles into human men's scrotums uh, to also treat their um, impotence. Good job, Brinkley. Yeah, still not a good idea. What I have an eyelash. Just pulled an eyelash off. Do I have an eyelash? No, it's gone now. Okay, good. Uh, so do you want to know what was really in this stuff? Yes, please. I'm dying. I just drank two bottles of it <laughs> while you were talking. <laughs> well, um, then I'm betting you're feeling pretty good. I because feel great. most of these things contained opium, alcohol. Uh, so a lot of the cold medicines contain cocaine. So basically really? stuff that would make you feel something. I mean, the idea was that you can't sell a patent medicine. You know, like the colored water thing is not going to work for very long. You need something that will have some kind of noticeable effect on the body. And the easiest way to do that is to give somebody alcohol or a stimulant or a narcotic. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, you'll feel that. Yeah. And we already know a lot of the children's cough syrups were, were opiates. A lot of uh, cold medicines were cocaine or maybe just grain alcohol. I guess because that'll clear it up because well and you think about it your cold's gonna go away probably so eventually eventually Um, there were a lot of medicines marketed for female complaints Uh, Lydia Pinkham's was the most popular one that somebody you know people may be familiar with which was just alcohol but when they're talking about female complaints I I looked into what this means because I thought they probably just meant like the same thing we kind of talked about with hysteria like moody uppityness yeah or not doing what you say that's not really what we're talking about what are we talking about? We're talking about early pregnancy. What? A lot of these medicines were actually, they were marketed for female complaints, but that was that was a secret code for if you're pregnant and don't want to be. So like very early rudimentary plan B? Exactly. So, that well, not, not, not plan B. I'm, I'm, I mean, these are medicines that would induce abortion. Oh my God. So Pennyroyal, Tansy, Juniperus, Sabina. So a lot of these compounds, which had been kind of found to do this maybe anecdotally. So they began putting these in pills and selling them for quote unquote female complaints. Uh, a lot of, uh, and then during the prohibition area era, this was like a, a way a lot of the liqueurs were sold as medications. Mm. So, you know, there were like herbs in them that they said would do stuff, but really you're just taking them for all of the booze, you know? Yeah. The only thing they had treated is like rough day syndrome. <laughs> Absolutely. But they're great for that. They're perfect for that. 
there was actually um, the prohibition officers would crack down on this stuff periodically. So there was something called Peruna that was a tonic that was 18% grain alcohol. Um, they changed it to Jamaican ginger, which was uh, like another vo- variation of the formula that was they were trying to like skirt the authorities with. They did that by adding an organophosphate, which you're not familiar with, but it's actually a really deadly neurotoxin. Oh, good. Well, fantastic job, old timey people. You did it again. So it, it created this like uh, delayed neuropathy, neuropathy um, this nerve damage that these patients would get. And then they just named it something. So they said, ah, oh, you've been drinking Jamaican ginger. You got Jake leg. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they didn't just stop drinking Jamaican ginger. But I have a condition. Yeah, my my headaches are gone, but hachi machi, this jake leg can't seem to shake it, or I can't seem to stop yeah, shaking it. Yeah, you can't stop shaking it. <laughs> no, you just can't feel it anymore. Just can't feel it. Um, the most famous of all this, though, and I'm surprised you haven't asked me about it yet, Justin. Sid, what's up? What about snake oil? There you go. It's like mm. you read my mind or your sheet. <laughs> Uh, snake oil is the most famous, obviously, of the patent medicines. Uh, so Clark Stanley, also known as the Rattlesnake King. Oh, how can I get that nickname? What do I need to do? <laughs> well, I think all you really need to do are publicly um, take rattlesnakes and like break them down and process them into uh, an oil at the World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So if you could manage to do that, then you can sell something called snake oil. Who was the who was the worst criminal? The guy who knowingly lied, or H. H. Holmes, the serial killer that stalked the Chicago uh, World's Fair, the Columbian Exposition? Who was worse? They were both there. Think about it. What if he had killed him and saved hundreds of people? Would that have expunged his crimes? Think I have, about it. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I just told you. I mean, what more context do you need? There was a serial killer at the World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago. Right, Holmes, and so you right? think he should have killed Clark Stanley, the Rattlesnake what King? What if he had killed Clark Stanley, the Rattlesnake King, and you, saved people from being exposed to the bad stuff in it? Do you really think that anybody can kill Clark Stanley, the Rattlesnake King? His <laughs> name is the Rattlesnake King. Oh, hell, you're right. There's no way. You can't bring him down. You just now, make him stronger and angrier. Now, to be fair, he was later brought down by the authorities. Okay, well, okay, they can bring him down. Fine, they have badges. They analyzed his, his snake oil and found that it, it did, in fact, contain no snake. Um, mineral oil, red pepper, camphor, fatty oil, and turpentine. That was about it. Bad for you, though. Yeah, not good for you. Bad not good for, for you. you. Some of these medicines would include, like, laxatives or diuretics. Again, just to produce some kind of effect so you could feel like they were doing something. Um, and uh, eventually... Um, they actually started to put things in there that could could do damage. Like uh, when opioids were banned from them, they they turned it to like this um, anti-inflammatory that caused like liver and kidney failure. So, um, Justin, were you wondering what they cured? What did they cure? Everything. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, William Radom's microbe killer actually said on the bottle, cures all diseases. Great job. And Dr. Sibley's solar tincture took it one step further. What did it say? Restore life in the event of sudden death. <laughs> nope. Absolutely Seems not. Seems like an easy one to disprove. And in addition, all the things that we always talk about at curing. All. Venereal disease, TB, cancer, cholera, neuralgia, scarlet fever. Right. Blah, 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 blah. How did these uh, go out of fashion, Sid? Um, the, the main way, actually, in 1905, uh, a guy named Samuel Hopkins Adams published in Collier's Weekly an article called The Great American Fraud. 
uh, and it was exposing all of these uh, patent medicines. And people kind of knew that. And muckraker journalists had been writing about it for a while. It's just this was the kind of the big breakthrough article that everybody read and paid attention to. And it led to, in 1906, uh, the Pure Food and Drug Act, which required that you label um, all things, the ingredients in all of these products. They didn't ban any ingredients. They didn't say you couldn't put this stuff in it. They just said um, you have to tell people what's in it. And it kind of limited the like really wild claims that they could make. Um, so that, that, that was the beginning of the end, I would assume. Absolutely. After that, um, in 1936, they started banning like alcohol and opiates and stimulants from these things. And, uh, and a lot of the, like I said, the, the really fraudulent claims were actually banned at this time. Um, there was one, uh, Morris Fishbane, who's the editor of the Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA, mm-hmm. uh, who spent much of his career unmasking these frauds. And, uh, and so that was kind of the end of um, medications, but that wasn't the end of the concept of patent medicine. It just moved to cosmetics. Oh, perfect. And, and you still see this today. Shampoos uh, marketed as having like uh, uh, yang yang, lang lang. Yang, you know Yingling. what I'm talking about. Yingling? Yingling for your hair. Uh, bananas, mangoes, honey, all of this stuff. There's no evidence that any of it does anything, but there you go. Well, honey, we'll get into that some other time. But but there's no evidence that it's going to make your hair look like the girl in the commercial. Right. Um, and then, as you mentioned, Justin, even today, it continues in nutritional supplements, weight loss aids, and sleep medications. Which always are very careful to say in their ads, like, we don't know. Maybe it doesn't really cure anything. Like, I mean, it says in the ads, like, it's not proven to actually help. So, I don't know. You got 30 bucks? Give it a shot. Well, exactly. And that's why you'll notice that they say a lot, you know, this is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. They have to put that because of all of these things we've we've talked about. Yeah, because they're they're fake. And I think my favorite, Justin, and you may have already mentioned it, is Insight. I have not mentioned Insight. Are you familiar with Insight? Uh, is that like is that like a, a penal penal system? <laughs> <laughs> it is it is a pill for again for uh, impotence. Uh, it's actually made of just some herbs and minerals and vitamins and that kind of stuff. But they originally made up a scientific name for it. Ah, oh, because people are dumb. It was Suffragium asotas, and excuse my Latin if I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh, and they claimed that that was Latin for better sex. No, uh, not it's not. It is not Latin for better sex. It's a it's the grammar is wrong apparently, and what it really translates to, if anything, is refuge for the dissipated. <laughs> yep, that about sums it up. Which I guess is accurate. <laughs> now, Sid, something I thought that was fascinating when you were telling me this is that um, when you were researching this topic, is that some of these things that are patent medicines or started as patent medicines are still like on the market like you can still get them oh absolutely um luden's cough drops is one that's uh, you know a lot of people still use those were originally a patent medicine goody powder a lot of my patients use that and maybe that's a regional thing but i have a lot of patients who use that and that was a patent medicine phillips milk of magnesia um bear aspirin bromo seltzer i mean a lot of these medicines are still around that doesn't necessarily mean they're fake right it just means that yeah. No, it doesn't mean they're fake. No, I mean, bear aspirin obviously has a use. It has lots of uses. But uh, when it was first marketed, it was a patent medicine, and it was marketed for many more things than it actually does. Vicks VapoRub. Uh, didn't you say, oh, Vicks VapoRub is fake? No, That's again. Fake though, right? No, it's Man, not come fake. Come on. 
It just come on. It just doesn't. I mean, it makes you feel better, doesn't it? I guess. Yeah. It may, I mean, you know, when you're sick and somebody rubs it on your chest. My mom never did that. I'll do it. Okay, well, I appreciate that. Well, I'll rub that on your chest next time you're sick. Thanks, sweetie. I appreciate yeah, it. It makes you feel cared for. My mom used to put it on a, um, a handkerchief, and I oh, would inhale it. That's sweet. It made me feel good. There were also some that are no longer sold as medicine that were originally. Like what? Well, 7-Up, Coca-Cola, <laughs> Dr. Pepper, Pepsi, tonic water, Angostura bitters. That would make sense. Okay, Angostura bitters, I don't know. They just... That, that would get you a little drunk because those are alcohol. But I, I guess a lot of these are caffeine. Once people were on the caffeine game, you couldn't mark because that would give you a pick-me-up, especially if you weren't doing caffeine every day. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, that would that would make you feel a bit better, I guess. Yeah, a lot of these things were marketed as medicine. And then when they realized, like, well, we can't market this as medicine anymore because it's not, we'll just sell it because it tastes good. Why not? Treat yourself. Um, so, so that's patent medicines. It's pretty weird pretty weird subject it's it's wide ranging we've hit on a lot of these things you know a Mm -hmm. lot of our other episodes have kind of edged into this but it is a whole category and it's really interesting um to read about so so i thought we should sum it all up what it is thank you to everyone who has uh been listening and tweeting and sharing our program we sure appreciate it uh if you wouldn't mind heading over to uh to uh itunes you can uh head over there and give us a review on uh, on our iTunes webpage, I'm currently uh, without my PC, my 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 Macintosh computer, so I can't uh, say thank you to everybody who did that this week. But I really, we really really appreciate it, and that really helps us out. So uh, thank you so much for for uh, sharing the show. Please tweet about it at Sawbones, um, and don't start it with at Sawbones because then only people who follow us already can see it. You got to put it in the middle there somewhere. Anyway, you can tweet at us too at Justin McElroy. She's at Sydney McElroy. S Y D N E E. I also want to encourage you to head over to MaximumFun.org. There's a ton of other great programs uh, that you can listen to and enjoy, like um, Wham Bam Pow, Jordan Jesse Go, Bullseye, One Bad Mother, My Brother, My Brother, and Me. Oh, that's thank you, sir. Too kind and uh, partial. There's forums there, so you can go chat about our show and all the other great programs. We'd also like to thank uh, Stuff You Missed in History Class for the great shout out. Yeah, thank you so much to them, and thank you to the taxpayers for letting us use their song uh, medicines uh, as our intro and outro tune we sure appreciate it and uh, thank you to you for listening to another episode of Sawbones we'll be back with you next Friday till then I'm Justin McElroy I'm Sydney McElroy and as always don't drill a hole in your head MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.